0: and welcome back to another episode of your favorite swim bait podcast scales and tails episode 93 today and uh you know we have another builder on so we are we're joined by a builder and i want to say this is the first builder since kyle from gracely baits but we didn't really even talk about bait building because he had been on before so after that i don't even know the last last builder we had on not off the top of my head at least, but episode ninety three tonight, and we're joined by Mr. Corey Shu, who is the guy behind uh rugged thumbs. I'm sure you guys have seen the duck and probably I mean the crappie, dude. I remember when you started posting about the crappie, I saw that thing and I was like, man, I I want that thing. And that's uh that's obviously we we've got a whole list of questions that we're gonna talk about tonight and, and the duck and the crappie are definitely two of the questions that I wanna talk about and kind of pick your brain about. But before we get into that, introduce the people to who you are and uh, we'll get into it.
1: Yeah, man. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Like you said, uh, Corey Shu created Rugged Thumbs a handful of years ago. And I guess, kind of one of the things from listening to your podcast and hearing from some of the other guys, uh, am I the first guy from the Midwest?
2: Uh,
0: dude, you might, I think you're the first builder from, from Missouri. the Midwest. Yeah, really? I don't think I don't Missouri, Missouri.
2: Uh, I'm trying Smack to think. dab in the center.
0: I'm trying to think Cooper, where's, where's Jake Cooper from? He might be from Missouri. Well, I should really know that I'm friends with Jake. Hold on, I'll tell you here in a second. <laughs> uh, okay, so Jake is in Lee's Summit. I don't know where that is relative to okay. you, but uh, but he, he's the guy behind Cooper Bates. But other than that, yeah, you two. You two and Kyle from Throwback are the only three guys, only three builders from the Midwest. I think that I've had on. Cool. Off top of my head, so you are you are in that great state of Missouri. Have you always lived there your whole life?
1: Yep, lived here, um, one shape or another. Actually, uh, grew up on like a small private lake, and then for a handful of years, moved to Lake of the Ozarks full time, and uh, got to enjoy the fishing there for a handful of years and then back to uh back to the hometown back to the private lake so dang
0: man ozark so was that had you all right before we get ahead of ourselves how did you <laughs> get introduced to fishing before like the ozarks and before bait building what was
1: the start of it for you oh man fortunately i had uh parents that were super into the outdoors and um, I mean, there's pictures, I think if you dig back through my social media stuff, there's pictures of like me at two years old, with a casting plug and a rod getting after it in the backyard. So it was a, it was a family thing. And then what's kind of crazy is listening to your podcast, hearing the break that people take from yeah. fishing in their lifetime. And, and we went hard with my parents always fishing all over the place. Uh my dad was in sales, so he was able to sh- kind of slide out on Thursdays. And so he would head to Lake Stockton, which is in like Southern Missouri. Mm-hmm. And uh, then my mom and I, when I got out of school, would shoot out a little bit early on Fridays. and We'd go there every weekend as a kid. And uh, then around, I think I raced my first ATV race at 13 and then ended up racing from 13 until about 21. And got super deep into that, raced all the local stuff professionally and traveled some nationally. And then when that came to an end, I needed something to compete at and I'd grown up fishing. So I was like, well, why don't I try fishing tournaments? And that snowballed into, you know, I fished BFLs for five or six years, fished all the local anglers in action, all the local stuff on Lake of the Ozarks for a handful of years and then that morphed into the fishing lure business. Dang man. So so it sounds
0: like once you got back into it you were you were heavily into into the tournament stuff. No matter no matter what it was, you were there fishing tournaments.
1: Yeah, man. It I I never left fishing um but it wasn't the main focus when we were doing the racing thing and then when uh When the racing thing stopped, I was still pretty hungry for something to compete at. So, uh, yeah, like you said, we went, or I went full bore into tournaments. I mean, anything and everything I could fish and it, uh, it's weird. All the little pieces start to kind of add up to the story because I originally fished BFLs as a co-angler and you man and i don't know if you're familiar with bfls but you're in the boat with some really good local sticks and uh one of the things i enjoyed most about that was i would get super creative with whatever i was fishing because i was trying to do something different behind a dude that's soaking up every bite almost you know so i would uh it's kind of interesting when i think back i pulled out some Odd stuff to the local tournament scene, and sometimes it paid off and pretty cool to think back.
0: Dang, man. So, without without aging yourself around, what was the time period where you were fishing all these tournaments? Like, was it, you know, when the Ned rig was getting super big, or were, you know, were swim baits on the horizon or anything like that? Uh, so
1: yeah, there's so much to unpack there. It, I guess, let me r- rewind a little bit on. On like kind of the come up, when I was in like high school age range, my dad and I started a thing where on my spring break, he and I would pick out what fish we wanted to go catch. We would pick out the area that gave us the best chance and then we would research the best guide and we'd go do that. And we did that every year. Until I graduated high school, and then it flipped where I was the one working and busy and had stuff going on, but we still did it. Mm-hmm. So I graduated. Put I guess put it in perspective. I graduated high school in 2006. and 2017 was our last trip we took because my dad passed tragically, but we did it every year in between there. So we've been everywhere from southern Florida to Canada, every state, uh, you name it. And, uh, what kind of started the whole lure building thing was we fished with a guy named Brent Anderson, who's an awesome angler, um, was huge on the TVA stuff. And we hired Brent as a guide and we went out ledge fishing, uh, man, I don't even know what year it was, but when six XDs were the jam and, uh, you know, big spoons, all that stuff kicked off and we went out on the ledges and fish swim baits. And had one of the first 20 pound days I'd ever had. Mm -hmm. And we came back from that trip and I wanted to make a bait just for my dad and I to fish and try to start implementing that stuff on like our local waters to see if we could size up. And it just so happened the company I was working for had like the little catalog where you pick out an award for, like, you've been there five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it was. Yeah. And my, like, five-year options was a little handheld Dremel tool. So I picked that, and that's what I used to carve the first open-pore paddle tail swim bait that I started in 2017. Dang, dude, that is... That's so,
0: pretty badass that it just kind of all fell into place
1: like that. Well, dude, it gets even more weird. So Luke from Lowbrow, mm-hmm. I'm I'm starting to carve this thing. I have no clue what I'm doing, but like I'm posting. Now this is like before it was ever a business. No, nothing like that. So I'm like carving this thing and it's, I don't even know, man. It took me months to carve this original master and uh, I was just documenting pictures along the way. And Luke actually reached out to me and was like, hey, man, um, I hope you don't take any disrespect by this, but I think if you did X, Y, and Z, it would really help you out. Dude, I tried it. That, like, catapulted that thing. You know, that uh, tail evolved into me making gobs of them, selling those, you know, that was... That was the kickoff of the business because Luke reached out to a stranger because he recognized that I needed some help that I didn't even know I needed. And that flung me forward. And then, like, it's trippy to think back. Like, Delta dude, Danny, was liking my pictures back then. And, like, we just did that collaboration on the paint with the Ducks in 2017. From 2017
0: to 2023. Dang, dude. so it was like it
1: you know it started
0: and then even even now today you still talk to those guys and those guys are still prevalent and you're still making baits and stuff and those guys were were there when it all started pretty much
1: oh yeah i mean it even like prior to me making baits like sketching out a design carving wood that type of thing like making baits here in the ozarks like jerkbait fishing is gigantic like gigantic so i was custom painting 110s for a good five years before 2017 before i ever made my actual own bait so that was like learning to airbrush all that stuff like was stacking up for my tournament fishing trying to have something different
0: your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by leviathan rods Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blanks. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing at Depth 250 or a bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. I guess, did you have an idea of what you wanted before you had started? Like you got the drummel, and you're like, okay, um, I, I want a big, you know, like a big style bait, like a high tech. And then you just went to town on a block of wood or how did that part
1: start? So for whatever reason, like I've always been able to draw. So, and that's one of the things that I always try and document is like, I've got a sketchbook for Full of drawings like for me drawing is super easy and it's even trippy to think back now like in that early early stage I didn't even have graph paper and I would literally measure out and make my own graph paper on blank paper
2: oh my god a dude I
1: worked with mailed me a like a ream of graph paper and was like here dude this will help so then like when you add the graph paper and the measurements and then my drawing skills I could literally draw anything and then just photocopy it. And that's what I use for my templates to transfer to wood, to make all my, cuts, sanding my angles, all that stuff. So once I started dialing in the carving process, it's, it's weird because it's like you could literally make anything, but you've also got to be careful because you want to kind of do your own thing and try and stay in your own lane. Yeah,
0: dude, making your own graphic paper that, or graphing paper, that (laughs) is, that is
1: hardcore. (laughs) There's an old picture, if you dig back deep enough in my social media, where I literally graphed out a section to try and make a symmetrical tail paddle when I was doing paddle tail soft baits.
0: Dang, man. But
1: like, when I first got on Instagram, like 2015, 16, when I was first getting started, like. I learned all that stuff by literally like studying the Instagram post from a page from a guy that calls himself dead horse Bates that did like the big Lone Star Crawl, like the massive, massive Lone Star Crawl. Dude, he had pictures of like a wooden rat he was making and like he posted kind of along the way. So you could see like the block of wood to template to like, I could, I just studied his process. And then tried to implement it myself.
2: Yeah, dude, I and remember that. That crawl. it's crazy.
1: Like, yeah, it's it's a huge crowd, but it's crazy to me now. Like Mike, the actual dude behind that, has bought baits from me. Dang. And like between him and then like Luke helping kick me off, like those two, you know, whether they really knew it or not, was like the the spark behind all this. Wow, dude, it's like just.
0: It came full circle, like the guys that were there that, that either you were kind of watching at the beginning or, you know, gave you tips or talked to at the beginning are still here, what, seven years later, six years later. Right. That's so sick.
1: And I, you know, I've said talk with those guys on and off, but I think. And what I see nowadays and I think the difference is. I didn't ask for anything before I did. So, like, those guys saw me putting in the work and then reached out to help. Like, I didn't start from ground zero, day one, nothing, and just start firing off messages, like, wanting the quick, easy answer. Like, they saw me in it, you know, taking my licks. And, like, the first wooden master I dropped and broke the tail off and about had to come apart. Like on the floor of the shop and it broke in two pieces like it's just wild to think back
2: man dude so after do you remember catching your
0: first fish on that paddle tail if that paddle tail was the first thing you had finished
1: yeah for sure i can't what's crazy is i can remember the exact spot on lake of the ozarks it was pouring down rain the exact cast like everything Dang, dude, were you
0: fishing? I was it just like on a jig head, or were you fishing like a weighted beast hook? Or
1: so I, people have done it both ways. That first fish for me was on a just a weighted lead head with the top hook exposed because I knew you know the area I was in, and I knew it was kind of open water area, so I figured that was my best shot at hooking up back then. And it uh and just so much stuff develops. It's like. You know I see a lot of stuff, and like customers will ask about rod, line, all that, and it it all works in a system. You know, like you can, depending on the action of your rod, you can either get away with a heavier line or you need a line with a little stretch or it at it all. It's one system. It's not the individual pieces. So it's you know, it just comes with time experience, I guess.
0: Yeah, was that first fish like anything super crazy for you?
1: Uh, I'd say it's probably two and a half pounds, but it was the ferocious bite is I think what really really drug me into it because it's like you know just the the bite feels like they just want to kill that bait when they commit to something you know even that soft bait was like five inches you know nothing massive but still bigger than a little minnow and just yeah. rod shaking when they come after it. Right. Yeah. What were, the, what were the specs on it? Uh, five inches it was solid, uh, solid construction. And, Man. uh, yeah, that's cool. Did, I remember, did you have, uh,
2: have,
0: hmm? uh, did you have like any experience pouring baits or anything before that? Or were you like melting down like old Sankos and stuff to pour these?
1: It's funny you say that. I've actually on the wall in my in my shop, I've got the original and I got so impatient waiting on Plastisol to get here that I melted down a bunch of, uh, man, I can't think of what they were. There was like a heart tail swim bait from Gary Yamamoto that was in like oh. some bluegill color that I had that I'd never used. Yeah. And I literally just threw the whole bag in a Pyrex cup and heated it up to pour that first one because I couldn't wait any longer. Dang. Was that first one the one you caught a fish on? It wasn't, but that first one out of the mold uh, walked down to the little private lake I live on and caught a fish first cast. It wasn't a good fish, but it was still, I was tripping out catching first cast. Did you feel cursed? Were you like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that? And I've never, that's a big thing like in tournaments too, like guys will burn their first cast, you know, or cast something goofy to keep the jinx away or like the whole banana in the boat thing. Like I've never, never affected me. So as Corey has like
0: 15 bananas in his lunch
1: pail, <laughs> yeah, trying to sabotage the competition. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh man, that's funny. And so did you sell those first minnows to anybody or were those just kind of for you and your dad to, to try to target these bigger fish in the areas and for tournaments and stuff?
1: Yeah, no, that was all, all internal. And, uh, some, some friends, obviously I had some family members and stuff that fished tournaments and some good friends and just kind of started, started that way. And then I think the first time I ever saw sold anything the big bass bash that's on lake of the ozarks handful of times a year they have some vendor booth space available and uh and i don't even remember like i poured baits for like three weeks straight trying to get some inventory in for that thing and um showed up and sold everything in the first day and we're supposed to be there for three days
0: oh my gosh dude at that point in time did you have a name for yourself, or were you just like, oh, these are just baits I make
1: under under Corey Shoe? <laughs> uh, I think i trying to think. I think we, I think we did have the name because I had a buddy of mine has a, a sign business, so he printed up some signage, and uh, we put the put the name on that. It's just like you said. It, it's been cool to think back. Like a good friend of my dad's helped me put together the name. Um, and that came from like bass thumb, you know, Mm -hmm. from the tournament world, you guys are always talking a big game after the tournament, but if you had squeaky clean thumbs, it's kind of like a, the oldest lie detector test in the book. Yeah. So we, like I said, a friend of my dad's helped me kind of put the thought together and the logos had some evolutions. It's been in like an actual thumbprint, like scan of my own thumb to different things over the years. I remember seeing the thumbprint. How long
0: ago was that? Was that like 2000, 2000 or 2020, 2019 time?
1: Uh, it would have been probably 2018-ish. I think that was one of the first ones. Cuz I think it it may be on the back of the original t-shirt we did. I think mm-hmm. the it's got a big thumbprint on the back.
2: If I
0: remember. Yeah, I, re- I remember seeing that logo distinctively. And it's funny you say that, because if you wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have jogged any memory into my mind. But the Mm -hmm. fact that you said that, I was like, okay, yeah, I definitely remember seeing that at some point in time. Yeah. So when was – was it Rugged Thumbs from the beginning, or did it take a little while for you to figure out the name – or for you guys to kind of drum up that name?
1: Uh, I think it took a little bit when – I mean, kind of like how people see it today – as I was building and as I was documenting the process of that initial bait, like people, DMs were starting to come in and people, people wanting to get a hold of it. And uh, it's actually, like you said, you keep making me think back. When I first kicked off the business, I didn't know it, but I unintentionally like kicked the rock off of this secret uh, Huddleston community at Lake of the Ozarks. Mm. there were cats i didn't even know and i'd been fishing tournaments down there for years i kicked the lid off of the secret huddleston club on swim bait attention and actually got a couple phone calls of guys being like hey like you know let's quiet this down really that's yeah, interesting because there were like cats throwing huddlestons on lake of the ozarks for apparently years before i came through with my attention on my soft baits
0: that's funny that they, you know, that they saw these five inch paddle tails and like, oh my gosh, everybody's going to be on our Huddleston, Huddleston yep. bite. It's crazy. <laughs> Dang, dude. And did, how, how did you take that? Where you're like, okay, like I must be doing something good if these guys are, are scared about them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it didn't, it didn't slow me down.
0: Hmm.
2: That's interesting. Did you know the guys that
0: were calling you at all? Like were they tournament guys that you'd fished with or known of?
1: Yeah, it and it's funny. Um, not to jump around too much, but I'm trying to think of what time that was. It had to be like, uh, I guess 2018, 2019. For a while, I made a jointed wooden wake bait mm-hmm. and I was out fishing it and caught uh, one over five on it. And it just happened to be the week leading up to, um, at the time, they called them Everstarts, um, which is like the level one up from BFLs, like multi-day, uh, I don't know what the sponsor of it is now that they call them, but maybe like the Toyota series, I think is what they call it nowadays. But the Everstart was kicking off later in that week, and I had caught a good fish on that wooden wake bait posted to social media. Dude, I had people like ever start tournament anglers calling my personal cell phone. I have no idea how they got my number trying to get one of those wake baits before that tournament started. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So then all the excitement of that, there's pictures. If you dig deep enough too, I made 75 of those jokers at one time in one batch. And uh, Kyle from throwback and I have, talked on Instagram back and forth when I saw him gearing up like for the gathering and stuff, I'm like, man, I I know the work you're putting in. Like it's it's no joke cranking out a big volume of wooden baits.
0: Yeah, dude. And were all of your baits, like I assume if they were all done by hand, like you had a you maybe had a jig or something to help your system a little bit, or were they all block of wood? and you just go to town with a, with a box cutter, exacto knife or whatever
1: your your carving tool of choice is. So the bodies were turned, but then I had like this system of bootleg jigs for like cutting the joints and drilling the eyes and the lip slots and all this stuff and prepping the wood, painting, clear coat, assembly. Like, <laughs> and that's kind of one of my favorite things about building baits. And I think if you ask any builder, it's going to be consistent, like, you end up making these like bootleg homemade tools that are specific for your needs. And uh, like, if you looked at my workbench, there's a handful of stuff that's not intended to do what it does, but it serves a purpose for me.
0: Yeah. It, it works. So that you're going to use it for what you needed to, <laughs> or you yep. made
1: it to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Sorry. I'm, I'm scrolling through your page. I was just looking like scrolling way back to look at all your old stuff. And so after after the the uh like the boot tail and then the wake bait was like the your next big thing right? Mm-hmm. At at what I mean was there a point in time where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm making these out of wood. Like it'd be so much better if I was making them out of resin. Or did you not even really know that that was a possibility?
1: Uh, so I I mean, like a lot of guys, I love kind of like the heart and soul that comes with wood baits and obviously the sound and all that good stuff. But, um, getting into like, that was getting into the early stages of the business. And like, I don't remember what I was initially charging for those things, but you know, guys have some wild cast and crank them into some rip rap or docks, or, you know, they're not, they don't have the durability of a resin bait. And I just kind of felt honestly guilty charging more you know charging a higher dollar amount and then these guys you know whether it was of their own fault or whatever like having some guilt that they just bought something that's not working for them so that was what got me looking at resin yeah And
2: okay so here's a good question
0: for you when you did start to go resin what was that learning curve like did you have did you watch a lot of youtube videos was there a lot out there even to watch at the time or what was that learning curve for you uh the first
1: i'm trying to think i guess the first resin bait was that three-piece uh swimmer and (laughs) it's funny to think back like not knowing what you're doing but just doing and uh just having solid resin baits with no ballast, <laughs> you know, wondering, wondering why they're not doing what they need to do. And then realizing that there's, you know, no secret, but no realizing that there's a product like micro balloons. So the whole game of lure building is taking the combination of resin, your micro balloons and your internal weight to make the bait do what, it, what you want it to do. That's the whole game. So it's just a a lot of uh, a lot of internet research. I don't really remember, like, I don't know if at the time if there was a whole lot of on YouTube that would have checked that box, you know. Uh, Yeah. But I was buying a lot of uh, a lot of you know mold silicone and stuff like that, and just so happens some of those companies sell the other products, and started digging around on the website trying to solve my problems how what was
0: it like trying to find your formula like how long did that take was it was it essentially like you were just pouring out resin until you actually figured out what what your formula needed to be and stuff
1: (laughs) oh man so i've seen that whole question like thrown around the internet a lot of times and like one of the clearest tells for me like if somebody's actually putting in the work is like I've got a couple five gallon buckets full of bunk baits. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that. And I you know, I may not be the smartest guy around, so maybe there's a better way to do it. But for me, like on a new bait, like I just you know, obviously I have a little experience on what should work around kind of ballpark and I'll set a baseline and document it and then adjust one way or another and (laughs) unfortunately keep making baits until it finally starts doing what i want and uh i guess kind of backtrack a little bit so you know like i said i draw the designs and then i carve the originals out of wood use that master to do mold and then get to the step we just talked about where you're trying to find the right recipe once we get that dialed, then I've got a handful of really close kind of inner circle guys that check some stuff out, and I get some baits in their hands, and if everything's still going the right way, then we move on to uh, introduce Row into the equation and go from there.
0: Hell yeah, man. It was uh, It's always, I'm going to say sad, but also very funny to hear when, when I have a bait builder on or like they're working on a bait and I'm like kind of talking to him over text and they're like, Oh my gosh, like I figured out the formula, you know, whatever it may be. And they're like, awesome. And then, you know, the next, next thing I ask them is, Oh, like, did you write it down or something? And they like, no, like I wrote it on the bait and then I lost the bait or I didn't even write it down. It was just <laughs> a blank bait. I knew it just swam right. And stuff. I'm just always like, Oh my gosh, I would be documenting every single thing. So I knew I didn't get screwed over and have to, you know, backtrack and figure out this stuff again for a second time.
1: Yeah, no, like, just like I've got the, the sketchbook and it's full of graph paper, has all the designs, stuff I've pulled out, stuff I haven't, anything in between. I also have a notebook in my shop that, God forbid, somebody steal it, has every recipe <laughs> you know, of every bait ever. So maybe one day when I'm a thousand years old, my daughter will find it.
0: Wow, dude. How many, well, how many baits do you think are in there? How many recipes are in there? If you had to guess off the top of your head.
1: Well, 20 plus.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, dude. So that, that's why you've got a couple, uh, a couple five gallon buckets full of, of bunk baits that, that, are, that don't swim or that
1: sink you or know, whatever it may be. You know, it just comes with it.
0: Dang, man. So after, after you figured out the resin and stuff and the wake bait, did you sell a lot of those wake baits or did you kind of go down a different path? Like, okay, I want to, I want to start a new bait and it's just going to be resin from the start.
1: Yeah. So I never did the wooden, I never transferred the wooden wake bait to resin. Um, I moved to that three piece swimmer and that's because the, I mean, just selfishly for me, the primary forage on the lake I live on is sunfish, bluegill. Um, unfortunately there's no shad in my lake. Um, so that was the that was the first resin bait, and uh, I think the first, first color pattern we rolled out was like a crappie. It's like a little uh, little five inch three piece bait. Uh, done some floaters, done some slow sinks, uh, mm-hmm. handful of handful of colors throughout that thing, and that was that was the first resin bait.
0: Yeah. And did you carve that one out of wood and then do kind of like the clay, the clay uh, details and stuff on it? Or how did you go about doing, how did you go about making that master?
1: So like, like all of them sketched, carved out of wood, uh, all details carved. I don't, like some people get real specific on like knife carved or Dremel carved. Some people call it Dremel like power carving, you know, whatever. Six one way half a dozen the other. It had like a little blend of both, like on that particular bait, like the fin details were knife carved, you know, the bulk of it was power carved. And uh I do all my own prototype molds and then like I said, once everything kind of goes through the checkout process, then that's when I get Roe involved.
2: Yeah, man. And when did you go to did you
0: go to row with that first three piece swimmer, or did you kind of keep that in house and do everything yourself for that?
1: Uh, once it checked all my boxes, like I said, um, I got it doing what it, I needed it to do. I knew the recipe, I got it to my inner circle. Guys were catching on it. Um, and then that's when I took it to row. Um, and I don't, I don't know why for some reason, like the recent couple months like it seems like it's cool to shit on row (laughs) and like we we can kick this rock over um i think what some people may not understand is like he provides a service along the process so like if you have a turd bait all he's gonna do is make you able to make more turd baits faster like he doesn't He's not really into like the recipe of your bait, like that's that's on you.
0: Yeah, and dude, he is so misunderstood on what he does and like what he offers. It is honestly pretty crazy that people think that you know you just send him a block of wood and he he can three D design you a bait and send you molds and stuff.
1: Yeah, and like he obviously he and I have talked long, long conversations a lot of times over the years. And like one of the best ways he ever put it to me was like, if he was actually gonna and I don't think to this date, he's never been hired to fully develop a bait from scratch.
0: No, uh-uh. I, I don't like he know said, if he would do
1: it. If he ever did that, he goes, I would keep it and sell it for myself. Like yeah. That, then I would be in the lure business. So it's like if you bring him junk, you're just going to be able to make junk faster.
2: Yeah. And that's even,
0: so what, when was that first time that you approached him with the, with a bait or
1: what year ish? Well, uh, had to be like 2018 ish.
0: And was that for the three piece or was that yeah. for a different
1: bait? Yeah. That was for the three piece. Yep.
0: So 2018, man, that was like, Jake was still like doing it out of his bedroom or had a very small shop if if he had a shop at all like
1: yeah he had uh he had a little shop, and uh I think for the most part at the time he was kind of by himself, I know he had some people that would help out um but it's been cool to cool to see him grow and uh yeah it's just, I just hate to see uh hate to see people shit on him when they I don't think they fully understand what he, what he does.
0: Yeah, he, uh, Jake, and I, Jake and I, talk quite a bit, and he actually wrote an article for this uh, for this second issue magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's I think it's really well put together, and I think you know I've had I've had Jake on two times, and they were both, you know, two and a half pushing three hours, and I'd be really surprised if guys that. Guys listened to those episodes and still had an idea or still thought that he was like building these baits for guys, like like designing all these baits and and making them from the ground up like that's just not the case at all, and people cannot wrap their head around what
2: he does whatsoever
1: yeah it uh I don't know it 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 uh it's definitely interesting, you know, and like I think some people over the years have gotten, you know, the wrong impression if he has, I don't know, maybe turned down a job, but at the end of the day, there's only so much capacity. Yeah. Yeah. He, I'm sure he would like to not turn anybody down, but there's times where they just don't have the capacity. And for me personally, I would rather have the guy tell me he can't do it than tell me he can and then come up short. So,
2: right.
0: Exactly. Or sit on it for a year and a half, two yeah. years, with little communication. Yeah. Yeah. So that first time that you, you got with Jake, did he, uh, did he just, you know, make, make your silicone molds and send them out to you? Yeah. yeah. Did you order a bunch of molds off the batters, you know, did you order five or 10 just to see, um, uh, cause like at that point in time, how did you hear about Jake? Like, was there a lot of people posting about him or was there a big bait builder who had posted about it or mentioned him or anything?
1: Man, I don't remember. I'm trying to think how I came across him. I mean, It might've just been Instagram, but, um, I've really always done smaller mold amounts, but then like one of the good things, or at least in my opinion, the good things about what Jake does is once you've gone through the process, you know, these, no matter what your molds are, they've got a, a life cycle because obviously you're putting this like chemical reaction through them mm-hmm. each time you pour resin in there and to make a bait, it's like they wear out, you know, depending on where you live, your humidity, all that type of stuff, amount of use. So to me, I saw the value in, you know, when the, uh, I have a mold wear out, I can call and order more. I can order one, I can order a hundred depending on, you know, matching the demand for the business.
0: Yeah. And I don't know, man, there's guys who, who will just start out bait building and they'll, they'll post like, Oh, I I want a hundred molds made. Like who can, you know, Jake from, or row innovations turn me down for a hundred molds who can make me a hundred molds or what have you not. And I'm just like, wow, that is a lot of freaking baits, especially off the rip, like new bait company, You know, maybe, maybe sold a drop of 20 or 40 baits and then they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to buy a bunch of molds. It's like, whoa. Like, you know, I love the, like, I love like ambitious people, but you got to, you got to start off small with bait building for sure.
1: Well, I think it depends on how you want to do your workload in your shop too. Like for me, I've always run a smaller uh, number of molds and I'll pour my whole mold set and then demold re pour when i do that re pour then i start cleaning up the baits i just pulled out like the you know some of the the easier lighter stuff like obviously you've got to let them cure out but that's just how i kind of choose to cycle it through and then like you find or at least i found like a little bit of a sweet spot as far as the volume i could run through my shop cuz like i mean you start to run into issues you crank out too many baits and you've got you know, have enough racks, you know, enough drying space for your paint or, you know, like just trying to find that sweet spot that works for you. Maybe somebody has got guys helping them. They can sand more baits, but it, uh, it's never been my favorite thing to sit down and sand 50 baits, you know, at a time It's a little easier for me to chew up in smaller bits.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so after, after the wake or after the three piece swimmer, um, did you do a lot of drops of those? Like, are there a lot of those baits out there in circulation that, that guys have?
1: Yeah, there's a pretty good amount of those. And then, uh, I try to always be working on, you know, another design, even while I'm making, you know, the, the baits that we're selling or offering to customers. So after the three piece came the one piece mouse, uh, the little wake mouse and sold a lot of those. And trying to think, I think what was next? I guess it was the duck came after the mouse.
0: Yeah. And, and the, the mouse is the little one, right?
1: That little one piece, the body's uh, like right at two inches. I think it's three and a quarter, three and three quarter with a tail, single treble hook.
0: And how many of those did you sell? Because I gotta, I gotta believe that you probably sold a couple of them at least.
1: Yeah, I don't know whatever a shit ton is, but
0: <laughs> yeah, a metric <laughs> not that many. Yeah, and oh, what was I was gonna say,
1: dude I, dude, I
0: can't imagine that you weren't getting a bunch of fish pictures. Like guys just had to be catching a lot of fish on that
2: bait.
1: Yeah, and it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I love catching big fish but realistically like that's not the life that everybody lives um so it you know it was just as cool to me to see you know a young kid on the bank you know i've got pictures of a young kid catching a spotty on one uh, stuff like that too you know it's not just not just 10 pounders but just people getting out fishing and you know, they send the picture and they're stoked that they caught a fish on it. So it's uh, it has been cool too.
0: Yeah, man. And what was, what was the idea behind that bait? Was it to offer something a little bit smaller that, that anybody could fish, you know, anybody could fish on a spinning rod if they wanted to, or a, a flipping stick or what have you?
1: Well, even though <laughs> I think I posted a, I'm sure I posted pictures of it. So I was like, three years old and we were in a local tackle shop and i picked out this little hollow belly mouse it was just flat gray and i don't know if i've ever even fished it but it survived every tackle box move i've ever had from three years old to 35 now i still got it and uh that was a little bit of it and then it was also in my mind you know my daughter at the time was literally a baby but i'm like well it's something small she could throw it's a wake so really you just reel it in. And uh, wouldn't take a heavier action rod or a heavier backbone rod. So I'm like, oh, I man, I'll do this for her. So, and then I think I posted a picture a couple of days ago. She's got a little plastic tackle box. You know, she's four years old now, but she's got a little plastic tackle box of uh, some stuff without hooks. So she's got a handful of custom mice in there, the colors that nobody's ever had. And she's got some three pieces in there. So
0: that's awesome, man. And, I mean, did the the those catch on super fast? Like that first, you know, first picture to you posted where guys like, "Oh my gosh, I want these." Like was the demand there before you had even really started producing them?
1: Uh, yeah, it was as soon as we like, you know, ran that thing through the process and everything checked out, and it was uh it was well received for sure. And I think I was doing I like for for me, I like the creation side of this thing. I'm not a huge fan of the bait business, but it comes with it. You know, like, so to try and keep things fresh for me, like on those mice, I was doing, I think, like batches of 10 or 20 and literally doing a new color, like, every week. Wow. Like, never really replicated you know, letter for letter a color. Yeah, and so. Well,
0: I, I was scrolling through your, when I was scrolling through your pictures earlier, I noticed that the, you'd posted a picture of the little tail. What did you, how did you, how did you mold that little tail? Did you use like a toothpick or what, what did you use to get that tail shape and that tiny little profile?
1: Man, I'm glad you asked that. Cause like <laughs> time marches on and you forget stuff. So my dad's dad, I never got the chance to meet. He passed away before I was born. He was big into trout fishing. Okay, And I had always heard stories that he poured his own uh, plastics, like little trout worms. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just a casual conversation had come up over the years and my dad would always be like, oh, I need to find his old stuff and show you like, you know, because I was making baits and never happened. And then when he passed away, I was going through some of his stuff and I found the old open pour trout worm molds. Oh wow! So that's what the original tail came from—was his open pour trout molds that are like carved out of foam with a wooden frame around them. So I was literally open pouring a six cavity. There were two molds, three cavities apiece. I was pouring six open pour tails at a time.
0: Dang, dude! Out of a mold that was what fifty, sixty years old at least. Dang that. It was, the, I mean, did you use that all the way up until you started making another, like, when you started making the duck? Like, was that the mold that you used the whole time?
1: Uh, I used that halfway through, and then it, I just couldn't keep up. So, uh, we moved to, uh, like, a two-and-a-half-inch, just straight uh, injection mold for mm. it, because I just did. <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't able to keep up.
0: Yeah, there was... I had a few things in mind that you might have molded to get that tail, but I was like, "Wow, that's like such a small shape." Mm-hmm. I really, I, I had, like I said, there's a few things I thought maybe that you had done, but I was like, "I, I've got to ask because I got to know like what that little thing is that he that he was using to to get that
1: shape." <laughs> yeah, dude, pouring not so bad. The cleanup of like the flashing <laughs> and the overpour like I spent just as much time with a pair of scissors trimming up all the overpour on those little things cuz it's probably I don't and maybe an 8th of an inch wide
0: yeah I believe that and what what was the um like so you put, you get the you get the mouse out of the mold what was that prep time like was there a lot of sanding that you had to do or was it pretty pretty easy once once the bait had hardened up
1: I mean, it's like with any resin baits, there's always a lot of sanding, you know, if you've got your parting lines on your molds to clean up, you know, some people invest more time than others and it just depends on what you want your end product to look like. So always a lot of sanding and then, you know, primer, paint, clear coat for the tails. The tails were on like a toothpick, uh, pin style setup and that, uh, that was more, like if they did get ripped off, you can push the pen out with just a tiny screwdriver or ink pen or whatever, push a new tail and push a new in, and you're good to go. Where there were some resin baits that I had messed with that had screw keepers that were recessed that there were times where a chunk of the tail would break off at the keeper. And then like you're using needle nose trying to like unturn it, you know, down in there.
0: Damn, dude, that's, that's crazy. And so while you were making while you were trying to keep up with the demand on the mouse had you already had the idea for the duck and had you already started making advancements for that too?
1: Yeah. I and mean, Everything kind of just stays moving. So if you go all the way back to my tournament days, when I was in the heart of that was when the uh, what do they call it? like one ten whopper ploppers? Kicked uh, off, yep. and like two those things sat on the shelves at tackle stores for years and never moved. And then was it uh, like Chris Lane won a Bassmaster event on one? Mm-hmm. And then like the world blew up, and they were all sold out, and they had to switch manufacturers and that whole jazz. Well, in the Ozarks, like buzz bait fishing was big. Has always been big then whopper plopper blew up. And then in the tournament world, then that obviously takes the next evolution. We're custom painting whopper ploppers. We're putting different hooks on them. You know, you're doing this and that to them and you've got this investment in them. And then a few bad cast on some riprap, and you got a submarine. Like, dude, I can remember soaking like choice whopper ploppers in rice, clear coating them with silica or a super to, and seal them up to get more life out of them, like all that jazz. so the duck idea was my solution to my whopper-plopper problems because it was solid resin and would never sink.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good idea.:
1: So it had the sound of a buzz bait, but the resin construction, so I'd never have to worry about it sinking. And that was that yeah,
2: That's a. That's and a the, really good idea.
1: At the time, the only duck that was really well, I take that back. I don't want to speak for stuff I don't know. I know there were some wake ducks made by custom builders, but from the tournament side that I came from, the only thing was um, I think like Savage Gear made a duck with two little spinny feet that everybody was excited about when it came out and they broke. And uh, I think that may have given like ducks a bad name because like all these other baits and whatever experience I had gained and came like rolling out with this duck and like nobody was into it. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Like if you look back far enough, I don't know if it'd be there, but like, uh, Luke from lowbrow had also introduced me to swim bait universe group. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like the very beginning days of the duck, like somebody started like a hashtag do nothing duck and like they were not about it. Mm. And uh, like, I was just so committed to it. Like, I guess I just kept force feeding it. And honestly, like one of the, the, like the lure business is weird because some people, you know, rightfully so, like they like their secrets and it's, Tricky because you see some orders, but you never see the mentions, you know, or the photos. But then you see repeat orders. I'm like, well, what's going on? But uh, the first dude to really start sharing his stuff was uh, Jose, who's real. Pot- and he posts a lot on Universe, and uh, he's got his daughter Isabella that fishes with him. And uh, I think it was like a big smallmouth he caught on the duck. And from that point on, that really helped get some people's attention on the duck Johnny Ellis bought one from me. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't give it to him. He, he bought one and caught a big fish on it. And then just slowly, but surely, you know, had different, different people thankfully share their post about it. And it's, uh, it's been cool. It's, it's something unique for me, and it's something that's really got my my passion to it, and I feel like it's unique to my company. So we just keep force feeding it, and slowly but surely, more people keep coming along.
0: Yeah, dude. I think so. Kind of going back to that Savage Gear duck. What? I, so I'm trying to think of how I want to say this. So like, yeah, right around that time, that like 2017 to probably dude, even like now, all these companies, in my opinion, you know, this is just my opinion, they were coming out with all this like super, you know, really, really gimmicky stuff, like mm-hmm. super clickbaity stuff for YouTube. I mean, you have, and mind you, a lot of this stuff was a good idea if they would have executed it to a point that they were trying to achieve like the duck, you know, I had no idea that they fell apart, but that makes sense. Um, so it was like the duck, the snake, uh, wunker hunt came out with the frog uh, or not the frog, the, uh, the spider.
1: Um, yeah. There's like underwater hard bait crawfish and yeah, which, I mean, like you said, to your point, there's, there's a way to do anything and execute on it. it uh, it's, uh, just, if you want to invest the time and accept the feedback and it's easy to get, you know real high on your own supply where you start to think your shit doesn't stink and you you know everything but sometimes you got to shut your mouth and open your ears even when you don't want to and that's that's one of the hardest things that I've found as a bait builder because you may be real far down the road into a bait development and there's a difference in stopping it good or trying to push for great when you've already been through a bunch of silicone, you've already been through a bunch of resin, you've already invested a lot, but then that sometimes that's the difference.
0: Yeah. And like I said, that was like around the time where we had all these YouTubers like, Oh my gosh, I caught a fish on this duck lure or, you know, whatever it may be. And so I feel Mm -hmm. like that, that got, if it's not a topwater frog, it, it seemed like a gimmick because that's what everybody mm-hmm. was doing. And I bet you, dude, like if you had, if, if like Throwback came out with the bunny around that time, it would have been probably close to the same thing. Like, oh, these guys are just riding, you know, that, that like hype train YouTube.
1: Flick mm-hmm. bait menu. type
0: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It was, that's a really interesting thing, but it it sounds like you kind of, you kind of force feed it. You force fed it enough that that people were like, okay, this is something that is completely different than that Savage gear, that Savage gear duck or whoever had made it. I'm not too sure. I'm pretty sure it was Savage gear.
1: Yeah. And it, uh, like I said, I, I try my best to be honest with myself. And like, when I, I mean, even now when I kind of assess the duck, like it has, premium hardware, whether I paint them or I have Danny or, you know, somebody else do some guest painting for me, like never knock on wood, had paint issues. You know, the construction's good. We don't have hardware issues. Like it, it checks all the boxes. It just, uh, you know, and catches fish. So I don't know what more, what more there really is to do other than, uh, I guess, just keep, keep pressing forward. And thankfully people share their catches with me. Nowadays, so we've had uh, you know, big, big small mouth from Canada on like a hot pink duck. We've had a little bit of everything now.
0: That's that's so sick. And uh, was your fur so for anybody who's unfamiliar, you know, you've got how long is it? Probably what, like four and a half, uh, five, five
1: inches? inches. Yeah, okay.
0: So you got a five inch body with a hook by the tail and a hook kind of by like the breast area, and yep. then you've
1: got Two I'm, Colorado I'm, blades. Colorado blades. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if they were
0: Willow or Colorado blades. I'm terrible with the names of yeah. those blades. No, but and kind of back to their, where the feet are, right?
1: Yeah. Those kind of replicate feet, but they also make contact with the back that give at the buzz bait, high pitched sound on mm-hmm. the retrieve. And uh, like I said, back to when we were in the tournament world, when we were customizing whopper ploppers. I specifically designed the duck to hang one ot treble hooks that don't tangle. That is that's that's one of the things that drives me absolutely insane is to make a cast and the hook be tangled and you just wasted it. You don't know what you scared off in the process. Like it's just a wasted opportunity. So that's one of the things. I don't know if it's a secret or not, but like when I sat down in my sketchbook, like I have. Uh, just a handful of loose hooks that I'm probably going to use. And like the spacing, the swing of those hooks, like all that's thought out, like we're not just building a bait and then getting online shopping for a hook, like the point orientation, the distance, short shank, wide gap. I mean, everything is thought of.
0: Yeah, dude. And I feel like, you know, when, when you made this bait, um, wow it's probably really going to ruffle some feathers when you made this bait uh, bait building and lure building in like the swim bait world was wasn't the the quick make a buck everybody's doing it so I'm going to do it too you know I'm going to be a millionaire type thing it was guys were making baits to catch fish on their bodies of water and offer them to other people or because they had an idea of, of something that, that could be capitalized on as far as like design wise mm-hmm. it wasn't like Oh, um I could I can make a glide bait and I could sell a hundred of them and I could just disappear with, you know, my fifteen thousand dollars I make or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like you know, there there's obviously a lot of builders out there who do do stuff like like you were talking about before, like really put some thought into it. But it's it's almost become so saturated that you see a bait and you're like does this guy like? Did he even you know think about something before he started carving, or or what have you before he molded this? And and so it's cool to hear that you came up with this design so that it didn't get caught up in stuff. Because I mean that that's like super badass to hear.
1: Yeah, and it's that it kind of touches on another topic, and we'll just keep kicking rocks over here. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like I see stuff. And some of it's rightfully so because of things like you just talked about, but I don't think you can standardize the bait building prototype phase, you know, or testing. People like to call it testing. You know, has this bait been tested? Because as you continue to build and you continue to gain experience as a builder, that time frame shortens, you know to not to drag people into it because it's just my assumption, but like you take a builder like Mike Buka and all the experience he has, he's going to be able to develop a bait from scratch faster than somebody that just started. Yeah. So you can't standardize the expectation of, well, this hasn't been developed for over a year or two years, or this has to have 15, 10 pounders caught on it before it should be sold. Like, it's not all equal, <laughs> you know. It's, experience plays a lot into that.
0: Yeah, man. It we're in a very interesting time right now. I guess that's kind of what we'll just leave that as. It's yeah. uh, it, it's very interesting.
1: <laughs> so, and you know, not to say that those people with more experience don't put in a tremendous amount of time. Like I know Mike puts in a tremendous amount of time, and he has trusted guys that are out prototyping his baits. But you know like I said, the guys that have been building and have all the reps put in, like they're going to be able to get to the finish line on a successful bait faster than somebody that's never built a bait or on their first one.
0: Yeah, guys who know their way around um a block of wood and a box cutter or whatever whatever however they go about it. Resin I
1: mean resin recipes, you know that are yeah, yeah, have an idea. Yeah, you, like I said, I mean, even if I think about myself, that first open pour paddle tail swim bait, arguably probably one of the easier bait styles to build, the carving of the original master of that took me three months. You know, I can prototype a bait even with my life schedule in less than a week. You know, it just, it just comes with experience.
0: Yeah. And dude, that's quick. I mean, I used to carve pike spearing decoys and I remember, dude, I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't even necessarily carving because the block that you cut out is pretty dang close to the shape. You just kind of got to round it off and give it a a fish look to it. But I mean, Mm -hmm. dude, that would take me like two or three weeks to do, you know, and um, you they weren't good you were they were actually very terrible and so it's not like it's not like it was like taking my time two or three weeks it was just more of it just took me a lot of time to do you know like if you don't we'll say the way i was carving if you didn't either wear a glove or had a cat or had like a big callus on your thumb your thumb would just get eaten alive by that carving knife i mind it i don't know maybe maybe it's a different type of carving but I know that was like some real you know your hand my hand would start to get like trigger finger because i was holding the mm-hmm. holding the blank while i was trying to carve it and stuff it oh yeah brutal. and you're
1: in like this t-rex position where it's not you know not good for your body you're all tensed mm-hmm. up locked up
0: yeah trying to balance you trying to balance the hand that's holding the bait on like yep. your knee so it's a solid spot and then you're trying to draw on it to find the sym- like symmetry and stuff. oh my gosh man i do not even yeah. want to
1: think about that i'll carve with a Like, my, I'm right-handed, so I'm doing everything with my right hand. And there's times where I'll use, like, a latex rubber glove to have a better grip on the bait I'm carving in the left hand. There's times where I think I posted a picture of it. I slipped and cut the glove open, didn't cut myself, with a razor knife.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I know, like, uh, people uh people who would, i i would go to this carving class at the, at one of the local centers and it was like uh-huh. a pike carving class and uh i know a lot of people would have a big um probably well not big it was probably only like a foot and a half by a foot and a half but it was a leather piece that they'd sit on their knee because mm-hmm. like they would i mean i i'd seen it like somebody was carving in that that blade skipped off the, the yep. piece of wood and just caught themselves down their leg through their jeans. I was like, "Oh, okay." So that's why everybody has a piece of leather. That makes a lot more sense now.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Damn, dude, that. Oh, I don't even like thinking about that. That's just some brutal stuff. Just gnarly cuts with with either barely sharp blades or just absolutely not sharp blades at all. Ooh. Oh my gosh, I hate that thought. But so. When When the duck finally took off, did it like take off, take off? Like were you trying to keep up like you were with the, the mouse mices, the mice, mouses?
1: Uh, no. I mean, I don't want to say it didn't because it was... it was steady growth with that thing, mm-hmm. um, but I don't I don't feel like it's ever been... it's ever been as welcomed if like I did a brush tail. <laughs> Shad glide.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, if I did something like that, I, just, I think those are a little bit easier to pa to, to chew on for people to wrap their heads around. They know what to do with that. Um so but like I said, it's to me it's got such a special place in my heart. I just keep uh just keep pushing it because I know I know it's good. So if I gotta push a little harder than other people, so be it.
0: Yeah, and this is, this is a perfect kind of, um, you know, everybody knows how everybody, you know, relatively knows how to fish a glide bait. So how, how do you like to fish the duck? And then are there other ways that customers have sent you like cast to catch and you're like, oh my gosh, like I would not have thought about fishing it that way.
1: Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's like anything with fishing. It's so situational. Um, mm-hmm. i I was working, I'm fortunate at my shop it's at my house here. And I said, I live on the water. So I was in the shop one day building baits and like, it just looked fishy. There's a storm rolling in. And, uh, you know, I went out, bombed a long cast down the back of a cove and caught one over five and started pouring down rain. I ran back inside. That was on a steady retrieve. Um, I've done it. I've got customers that do it. They pitch them, um, into cover. So it's just situational. Um, it does seem like to me more bites come on just a slow, steady retrieve, but I've had a, i have had i think Jason Carroll did a review on it, which was awesome. That I'm glad I thought of that. That helped translate a lot too. And that his review video helped business for sure too.
0: That's so awesome.
1: And Jason, like I said, I think I've made posts about it, but like he does it the right way. You know, you've, you can't pay him you can't give him a bait if you give him a bait he donates it to one of the people in his comments like he's as straight up as can be and uh i forgot about that just in the short term but yeah he did a review video on it and that was awesome
0: yeah dude i i think um jason does a lot of good with those videos because that doesn't only help the builders, but it helps people who are like, oh, I really want this bait, but I have no idea how it swims. Like, I don't know if it's going to be a bait that I like. And having that, like, as a resource, man, that is so, so awesome.
1: Oh, yeah, dude. His his library of YouTube videos, you know, not for a number of builders, you know, that may have, even to their best effort, may have had somebody in one way or another end up with a bait and may have not been happy with it because they didn't know how to tune it. and. Jason's encyclopedia of content on specific to the swim bait world. you can go find basically anything you'd want on his body of work there and get an in-depth look on what the bait should be doing, how you need to tune it, all that stuff.
0: yeah, dude. i I've got a question for you. I'm sure you're very familiar. With like those videos of guys catching, um, catching like those big Nile catfish out of float tubes with like whopper ploppers and those duck lures. Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to find somebody to reach out to to send them a lure to try to get a video like that? If, If you know what I'm talking about,
1: yeah, I do. Um, I'm trying to think. Or
0: like Murray Cod. That'd be another one that I bet would just smack that thing.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm probably going to forget somebody and they're going to be mad at me on like kind of the off-bass species stuff. Um, I know some guys have. I know there's, I won't name any names. I've got some guys that uh, thankfully check in pretty regular on the uh, mother ducker and i think they've got some toothy critter ambitions mm. that they want to deploy that thing for so thankfully they they hound me and don't let me forget that i haven't gotten that thing across the finish line yet either yeah
0: and that's so the one the the normal one right now that's the 5 inch one and then yep. you're making two more or you you currently or you have made two more right
1: so i've got the duckling which is three and a half inches that's going to be molded tonight when uh, we wrap this up oh, man! and uh, then we've got the mother ducker that is longer than a roll of paper towels and oh, right around God. six ounces how much? six ounces
0: wow that's honestly lighter than I thought you were going to say and I'm just going to take a random bet here because I'm a betting man I will say when you have that thing molded and the fir- or somebody's going to get that bait and they're going to cast that thing, and they're not going to have enough line on their spool, and that thing is going to be gone because there's the shape of that thing, that thing is just going to cut through the air and fly like a bullet.
1: Yeah, they do cast like a bullet. Um, I, th- I would probably take that bet because, uh, like I said, I won't throw any names out there, but the cat that's getting the first one, uh, he knows his way around big baits and toothy critters, if you know what I mean. So, so I think, I think he's going to be ready. I'm sure you can my, probably put the pieces of the puzzle together without me saying it.
0: I was about to say I might I might have a name in my head, but <laughs> well, we'll talk about that after. But uh, yeah. Damn, dude, that is massive. And I guess the question I had, can you kinda can you walk it like a dog if you want to, like with real pops, and can it kinda kinda do like that spook style swim to it?
1: So we just on this last batch I just dropped, I actually took it was purposely built um, to be rear weighted. Where on a pause, it would sit vertical, almost like a bobber. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to let it sit, and you could, uh, you know, intermittently pop it, almost like a popper or like chug bug. And for whatever reason, even though it wouldn't, it never sank. The drop freaked people out because having (laughs) having a topwater lure that dipped i guess you could call it bothered people so we've worked to take the dip out where this these new this new batch literally just stays horizontal on top of the water and you can walk it a little bit um the hanging weight with the feet makes that true walk the dog a little challenging Mm -hmm. Um, but you can get some side to side to it and uh Like I said, so far, the feedback I get, the feedback I've had from fishing it myself is the long, slow, steady cast seems to be, because I think it provides consistent sound with the feet, so it's a little more enticing.
0: Yeah, dude. And I mean, all the, I mean, the videos you see when, when like a muskie or a bass comes up and eats, eats a duck. You always see that they're, they're swimming, like they're, they're mm. swimming away. They're not just sitting there puddling around in a puddle. Like they are, you know, you, you can tell when a duckling or even a big duck is like paddling fast. Cause they, they put their, they put their head down and they get really squished up and like, they are trying to run underneath that water.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, any gut, anybody that's used like forward facing sonar or stuff like that, it gets a lot tougher to complete that bite when you pause your bait and get a good and they get a good look at it that uh that movement to kind of keep them guessing a little bit to help them commit
2: yeah
0: dude i mean that's got to be that's got to be a blast watching it watching it on uh forward facing and just seeing seeing the top and seeing fish just rise off the bottom i don't know if you've experienced that i haven't but i feel like that'd be that'd be something hard to hard to beat
1: well and that's just topwater in general you know it's it the the bites may not be as frequent as you know a glide bait or a soft bait or whatever but that you know that rush you get of having having the topwater blow up whether it's you know just the suck down or you know i've seen fish cartwheel over it you know looking back trying to see what happened so definitely gets you jacked up
0: yeah and I was going to ask you something about the duck, but I can't think of it off the top of my head.
2: Uh, oh,
0: what, what gear do you recommend to fish the duck on? Like, well, at least what is your setup so people can kind of get an idea of, of what they, if if they're going to buy one, what they should have or what they should look into getting?
1: But I try just for myself, like I, I go probably, I to stick in the sevens because um, it's, The way I fish it is pretty active. so And obviously you've got the visual of it because it's on top of the water so you can see Mm -hmm. to make sure it's running the right speed and you control it with your your cranks. So I try and keep it on that. And I just, like I said, I try and run down the bank and hit cover and targets and pitch it in boat docks and down dock sides, all that type of stuff
0: have you found
1: a certain line that that
0: works best for it or just whatever whatever you whatever you're fishing normally would be fine for it
1: well it it goes back to kind of like we were talking about like what your system is like i know guys that throw it on 30 pound braid but they have a softer rod to compensate for that so you're not Mm -hmm. pulling off yeah Um, i know guys that have stiffer rods with some guys, even though it sounds crazy to some, like they'll throw big fluorocarbon, and they're moving it so much the fluorocarbon doesn't necessarily have the chance to weight it down. I know guys mm-hmm. that'll throw a stiffer rod with seventeen pound mono. You know, it just just depends on what what your setup is and making sure you're aware of your setup. Like early on, I was throwing the three piece uh, jointed swimmer pulling fish off all the time and i had like a seven nine heavy you know with big line because i was scared to death to lose the bait and couldn't understand why i was losing fish you know halfway between the hook set and the boat and i was just ripping hooks out
0: well you guys just heard that too the bait makers are scared they're going to lose a bait too so don't feel bad
1: oh absolutely i've got the best swimming prototype crappie is in the bottom of my lake in a cove. <laughs> yeah. is one of the few cast offs I've ever had on hard baits.
0: And that, um, unfortunately is a good segue into the next set of questions about the crappie. So mm, man, if you guys haven't seen this, haven't seen the crappie, go on the Instagram and check it out because Dude, this bait looks so, just so awesome. What was, um, was it, was it, was that the bait after the duck that you'd started working on?
1: Yeah. So uh, in between there, like I've messed around with some bigger glides. Um, like you said earlier, built a lot of baits, but hadn't brought any of them forward yet. And uh, I'm fortunate. To admit one of the best crappie guides in the country uh terry blankenship and i was grew up you know we'd fish for crappie to eat have big family fish fries so i go out and chase crappie with him and you know one day i'm like man i'm literally hands-on real crappie any and every time i want and uh just one of them we caught one day out on the water just started Snapping photos of every angle of it, top down, left, right, front, back, side, side, and uh, took all those back and sat down at the uh, sketchbook and started trying to draw something that was accurate, but, you know, still in my style of uh, carving and had the big eye and it uh, actually, you know, this would be a good story. We're <laughs> We're going to maybe teach somebody something here.
2: Oh, hell yeah.
1: So, the initial, that initial crappie was designed to be a soft bait Mm. with a paddle tail. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, at this point, we're well into building swim baits, the business, social media, all that stuff. And this shows just how easy it can happen. So, with the, the height, the vertical height of that bait. It had to be on a weighted beast hook, and I'm going to town. I've got it carved out. I've got the bait, the bait fitting the hook. Everything's going great. And honestly, I think, I think Jake from Rowe reached out to me and was like, "Hey man, like, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but I think Mike Gilbert has a patent on how that hooks." sets re- the weight sets recessed in the bait. Mm. I'm like, Holy shit. Like, you know, like you just kind of get in the zone sometimes and you're building this bait and you're trying to check the boxes and make it all work. I'm like, Holy cow. Like I had already posted pictures about it. Like, you know, document my process so nobody could be like, Oh, Ro builds all your baits from scratch. And when I realized that like halted everything I shot Mike an email or a DM on social media and I was like, hey man, I did not mean to cross any lines here, you know, dipping into your world on what you do with your baits. I'm going to kill this. Didn't mean any harm, you know, no disrespect because I have a lot of respect for Mike and what he does. Yeah. And uh, he reached out. We talked about stuff. Been cool ever since. You know, fortunately, I've had the opportunity to talk in depth about swim baits with him a number of times like was it right wrong indifferent you know maybe debatable but I felt like I did the right thing to make myself sleep at night and I think I gained some respect from Mike so
2: yeah man fast forward
1: then that's what made me move to resin
0: and that just goes to show that you know whether whether Mike had seen it before or not. You you were like, okay, like I I can't stand for this. Like I need to make no. sure that he knows that I wasn't blatantly doing something or I wasn't you know heavily drawing inspiration from him. You know, like uh, there's there's some big there's some big big bait companies conventional not even necessarily swim baits that uh, that very recently have taken very heavy um, inspiration from swim yeah. baits
1: in the community. So lame you've got all the resources in the world and you're going to rip somebody else's stuff off.
0: And uh yeah, um that company is definitely not that's definitely not new to that company. They've done no. it a couple times. No. Nope. <laughs> and uh yeah, we'll we'll just leave it at that. Everybody knows who we're talking about. But yep. it was it's very cool that you reached out to Mike. You're like, "Dude, I'm sorry. I'm not doing it anymore." And it, it's I mean, I guess realistically, it might've been like a, a, a surprise blessing that, that you, that Jake had said something You're like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll turn it into a resin. And did you think that you were going to make it into a glide bait or did you think you were going to make it into a swimmer at that point?
1: Uh, I wanted to do a glide, um, just to add it to my arsenal. Like I said, when I started messing with some shad profile glides that I've built, uh, over the years, Goes back to like my home lake here. One of those prototypes swam it back. And, you know, like I said, I've been either lived on or around this lake for almost my entire life. And uh on one of the wider gliding pattern baits that I've built on that shad kind of platform, when it swam in, there were probably fifty to seventy-five bass of various sizes that came in with it watching it. And I'd never in my life seen that, so I'm like, okay, you know like you know you've heard the stories about glides, you know like at that time, you know glides weren't too big around here, yeah, so and I mean, compared to other places, they're still not, but it's growing, but uh that kind of stuck in the back of my mind, and then you know i had had the drawing and had everything for that crappie, and I'm like, man, I really want to do something with this. um, our lakes around here have crappie, so Uh, kind of fit the forage profile. So I'm like, okay, well maybe we can turn this into a glide and, uh, go from there. Yeah. And
0: what are the specs on uh, it's, that's the slab, right? The slab. Yeah. Okay. What, what are the specs on that?
1: Uh, it's right around, uh, five, five and a half, six inches with the tail. Um, just trying to, trying to keep it kind of that, uh, smaller, prey crappie size
0: yeah and dude honestly that's like six inch that is such a good size for like smallmouth fishing a smallmouth Mm -hmm. will absolutely slap a six inch bait and then of course you'll catch a hundred largemouth on it too that's just it's just a really good size like if you want to go out and catch a lot of fish and you know a handful of really good fish six six seven inches like that sweet spot i think
1: yeah it uh Kind of what was cool, too, was when I was developing that uh, was when I got Mega Live for my boat. Oh, yeah. And literally on some of the earlier prototypes was able to see what that thing was doing at the end of a cast and correct some things. Uh, Where you wouldn't have seen that with your rod tip in your water at the water's edge running back and forth.
0: Yeah. And has, did that help you, you know, tweak the bait at all? Having, being able to see it in the water, you know, on those long casts and see how the fish were reacting to it and stuff or it, was it pretty much been perfect from the start.
1: No, I had to 100% change some things from what I saw and I had, had I not had that technology, I never would have seen it. Dang dude. That is so cool to hear. Cause I feel like,
0: you know you can get so much out of a ten yard test tank, mm-hmm. but you know being able to see it sixty feet out there, there's a big difference.
1: Well, so what's crazy too? I just made you said test tank made me think of something else. So I'm listening to Cast and Crank podcast, and he, uh they're interviewing this dude named Mark, build swim baits, whatever, you know. They knew him from previous music career, whatever, all that stuff. And then the dude's like, oh, well, I'm in Missouri right now. I'm like, do what? <laughs> so it turns out to be Mark from Bass Brains. Oh, yeah. So we start talking on Instagram. End up, we end up chatting on the phone for a while. Um, I think initially like he had some questions. I just threw him some of my what I've experienced. Fast forward – I end up in southern Missouri during the winter months, using his test tank to help dial in the glide, my cropping glide. That's like sick. we're at some hole-in-the-wall local Mexican restaurant eating lunch, like just crazy. Small world,
2: man. <laughs> yep, that's so. I like.
1: Awesome. I think you know. I think back uh, on Swimbait Universe, like Manny posted something about. Did anybody have? forward facing sonar because he wanted to check the depth of one of his multi-jointed deep divers so like he drove over here from illinois we went out on the boat and tied up to a dock and he bombed cast off the front of my boat trying to see what his bait was doing like just crazy
0: damn dude that's just crazy i know everybody you know i mean 100 percent of people just assume oh yeah just catches fish but it's like oh no it can be a tool for a guy who builds a bait and who doesn't have access to thirty foot visibility clear water, you know, to to be able to see what his bait's doing out there on a cast. That I mean, I would have never thought of any. I would have never thought of being able to use it like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like anything. Like if you think back when the A rigs came out, like the you know people's you know some people don't have the experience and just develop a perception of it because maybe what they heard or whatever. Like you. Couldn't drive out in the middle of the lake and just dip your or your uh, your a rig in the water and every lake fish in the lake comes running to it. Like, yeah, was it a high performer for sure? Like, but with anything, there's a learning curve. I can remember my first BFL throwing a rigs early on, having way too heavy a wire hooks. I lost four in one tournament. Dang. Because back, you know, in the early, early days, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you got this big thing, like big braid, big hooks, like hollow bellies, all this stuff. And like, do you set the hook on a tree thinking you're going to catch a 10 pounder and that thing's never coming back?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that thing's stuck in there forever. So this is the so you had already touched on it. So don't feel bad about asking. So you lost the, the slab prototype. And you had already said that you have recipes and stuff, like, made up. So that bait is, like, that bait's okay, right? It's not gone forever, like, have to redo the whole thing?
1: No, yeah, it, it's all good. It, I, it's, it's tough as, like, the fisherman in me wants to just keep everything I built. But, like, I've, oddly enough, never really, I've kept, like, the first of things but like I don't even have my own baits. So so like on that crappie glide um, with like the early prototypes, I was trying some different stuff, trying to dial in that recipe and kind of goes back. We were talking about like seeing good and like pushing through, trying to get to great. Um, You know, I had some baits that were fully finished baits that were good. They weren't great. And those were what I was fishing, and it just happened. Obviously, I was fishing the better, <laughs> the better one on my lake. You know, catching fish on it, and uh, I think I got lazy and didn't retie as much as I should have, and wound up to make a cast and center. So, I had all the notes from all the build recipes, and I've got one of the original prototypes still in my possession. That a couple of my buddies have. Some from, you know, like I said, my kind of inner circle that tests baits for me. And that, uh, that, uh, okay, swimming one <laughs> is the only one that I actually have at the moment. I have the original wooden carving, but that's the only one at the moment.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, you, I remember seeing the post where you're like, yeah, I, lo- I lost the slap. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's got, that's got to be like the saddest thing I've seen all day.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty chill, but I, uh, unfortunately I screamed some profanities when that one, <laughs> when that one went. And has but, there, has there been a
0: drop of these of the slabs yet or no?
1: Uh, I think I did. I think I did two small drops of them, um, before I took my, my little hiatus. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it uh, life happens, and certain yeah. things come up, and you got to rearrange your priorities. I, uh, you know, in hi- in a perfect world, I wished i would never taken a break. Like, I know I've taken a few on and off, uh, <laughs> and then you got to start pushing the ball back uphill. Well, social media forgets about you, and that's just part of it. But uh, wouldn't change anything.
0: Yeah, man it uh, it's it's kind of that thing where, and unfortunately, if you don't push the envelope and you know stay relevant or post you know two three times a week and and make sure you stay on people's feeds and time timelines and stuff, it's not hard to to be forgotten. Especially yep. right now, like we talked about, all these builders and stuff. It just it's so flooded that, that people, you know, have a goldfish mind and, you know, they go a week without seeing a post or one of your baits or something. And they just, you know, forget who you are, forget that your baits are even around. I I feel like.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a thing. And it, uh, but like I said, it's just part of it and you just keep putting like, I mean, at least my approach, I'd keep trying to, uh, just put out the best products I can and just let it, uh, kind of take care of itself. We got to, got to play the game, like you said, and make your post. And sometimes it's, it's, uh, it seems like it's something so simple, but it's hard to, uh, carve out the, (laughs) carve out the time to do it when, when you're building baits and all that jazz and try to try to do a little fishing yourself. I think it, it's crazy to hear lots of people say it that you start off fishing and end up in a fishing lure business and you fish the least amount you've ever fished.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, dude, I, I get to fish once or twice a week and I'm just, I'm ecstatic, you know, back, back in the day as if I'm 45 years old. But, you know, like a year, two years ago, you know, I was fishing five or six days a week and now oh. it's like, whoa, like I got, I got stuff I got to do now since I, I, You know, I have a podcast and I I have a magazine and I talk to a lot of people and I got to go ship stuff and I got to, you know, talk, talk with people about new designs and stuff. It's just like, wow, I really took for granted when I was able to fish all the time. And like I said, I get out, you know, get out two or three times a week and it's like, whoa, like I'm so far behind on work. At least that's how I feel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, there was a time in that those handful of years when I was so deep into tournament fishing Even if it was just, you know, my house here, 100-acre lake, I was fishing seven days a week. You know, there wasn't a day that I wasn't on the water. Like, we would get back from travel, and I would go out and fish. So Yeah.
0: Damn, dude. And this this is going to be a good segue into kind of these last few questions. What – we'll start with you personally. What was the most – or what is the most, like, memorable fish that you have on one of your baits
1: Mm, The most memorable on one of mine or
0: if you need to think about that we can go like what's what's a bait or what's like a cast catcher a picture that a customer has sent to you and just kind of stuck out to you whether it was like a pike or a cool cast to catch or something like that if you have one of those
1: yeah i think i mean I think probably if I had to pick one to put in front of everything, I think that first soft bait fish on my original paddle tail. Yeah. um, Cause like, I can look at that picture and like uh, I wasn't necessarily prepared for it, but I still went like, didn't have my ring gear with me in the boat. Like you just got drenched. Like in the picture, you can literally see like the carpets holding water, but uh, caught that fish and, that uh, I think was that one fish was all I needed to to kind of start migrating away from the tournament world. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a different world. that tournament side a lot of times is more, you know, the 75 rod and reel combos and all the Plano boxes full of tackle and all that stuff. And I had hit the tournament scene so hard for – handful of years i was looking at uh some of the guys on social media and seeing like you know a guy with a small garage built bait and his custom rod and chasing an experience chasing fish you know it it was just a, a transition from the tournament world so i'd probably say that first that first paddle tail swim bait bite on my own first creation probably that one
0: yeah, I feel like that, I mean, the first fish you catch on something that you make yourself is probably close to the most memorable. Unless, you know, somebody is like you're to catch, you know, a double digit on one of your baits. I feel like it's probably hard to to surpass that first core memory of, of your own lure catching you a fish. Yeah,
1: um, as far as customers go, I mean, I don't want to downplay like, it doesn't matter what it is is if somebody's out there fishing you know choosing to tie on one of my baits and fish it like i'm all about it um but like kind of we talked about before uh you know jose on swimbait universe being one of the first guys to really speak up you know obviously helped out tremendously um You know, Johnny Ellis caught a big fish on, you know, on the duck that he got. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I owe owe a lot to Johnny, too, because after that, uh, not too long after that, I went to the first, my first uh, gathering uh, in the fall. And, you know, I can't tell you how many guys came up to me and said, hey, Johnny sent me over here. So... Definitely. Oh, a lot to, oh, a lot to that too.
0: Yeah. What, what year were you at the gathering?
1: The third year. So two years ago. E- 2020, 2021, something like that.
0: I'm trying to think. It, I, I was,
1: uh,
0: I've missed one or two years. I can't remember. I think I've missed one. Yeah. I've missed third year. So that would have been 2021. I think.
1: Yeah. I think, that might have been it. That was, uh, that was literally the start of my family challenges. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, uh, made the next couple a little more challenging to get to.
0: <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, what is, if, if you, uh, care to talk about it, what's a bait that you're kind of working on right now that, you're super excited about, but it's kind of taken the back burner because, I mean, you're working, it sounds like you're working on the duckling, the mother ducker, and then, you know, you are I mean, you don't have a prototype slab anymore, so you probably got to make a couple a couple more of those for yourself. Is there anything else that you've kind of sketched out and that you want to move forward with, or is is it just kind of all hands on deck to to get this stuff wrapped up for now before you start another, another new thing?
1: Well, kind of like I talked about before for, For me, I like the creation side more than actually being in, like, the lure business. So, for me, and kind of coming off of that break I took, like, I'm trying to make sure that I enjoy what I'm doing um, for me, you know, a little bit of time, you know, that we have. I'm trying to make sure I'm aware of how I'm spending it. So, um, I've got... We've got the duckling and that three and a half that I'm excited to get because it's uh, the smaller baits apply to more people. And, you know, in my head, I think, okay, you know, somebody's kids can get out there and, and rip one of those and maybe get introduced to bigger baits and different things like that. Um, obviously getting the the mother ducker rolling for some people that are have really stayed on me about it is cool. And then um, I also prototyped, got my f- prototype molds, and built the first one. I'm calling it the uh, Harper Wake, which is my daughter's name's Harper. Mm-hmm. So um, just built the first one of those not too long ago. Took it out on the water and caught a couple fish on the the first prototype, first swim. So that thing like I said my daughter's four and she's starting to she said you know daddy I want to fish our lures and I'm like well man what can I make that I don't have to worry too much about her imparting the right action and you know kind of fits the rods that she can fish with right now I mean she's she's not uh on the big rods yet I know I see some people got their kids on big rods ripping bigger baits which is cool but trying to build something for her so again kind of like back on the wake mouse thing i'm like okay well if, if i just build a smaller wake smaller profile wake i can bomb that thing out across the point and just hand it to her she can reel it in and she's probably gonna get yeah. bit. so um kind of inspired by my wooden wake bait it's a two-piece little uh kind of shad profile uh, wake bait with a feathered tail that i've put together for her and Carved the, carve the original and got it molded and making some test baits of it. So I think that'll be pretty cool. I took her out uh, a week or so ago and she hooked up and it it came off, which mm. killed me. <laughs> but I didn't want to, uh, I wanted to let her, you know, handle it. So I didn't jump in there and yeah, I wanted to, but uh, it's still cool to see her get a blow up on it.
0: That's awesome, man. And then the last question I have for you that I was, yeah, was coming through my head while I was scrolling through your page. So you talked about how like you were super big into like the art and stuff. Well, we'll start off. Did you have a painting background before you started painting your baits or no? Or was like your first pour, your first paint, paint job too? Man,
1: your, uh, <laughs> do your questions make me think back. So if we go all the way back to when I was custom painting uh, jerk baits for tournament fishing,
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. I was
1: bombing those things with spray paint cans in the unfinished basement of my house with the AC on (laughs) stuck in the fumes all the way through my first house.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) So I got to a point where I was getting frustrated with the, uh, the detail, the ability to get some fine detail out of the, uh, the spray cans and, uh, you know, a lot of respect to Caesar because I see the stuff he's rolling through with spray cans. And I'm like, how in the hell are you doing that, man? But uh, so that was what made me grab my first airbrush and, uh, you know, taught myself through
2: messing up. Was your first airbrush that
0: Ichiban kit or whatever that everybody starts off with? I can't think of the name right now. <laughs>
1: No, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't, I'm trying to think of how, what it's called. It's like a Neo, which like Iwata is like somehow printed on the box, but I don't think it's actually Iwata Mm. and, uh, it was, uh, it was gravity fed, but it had, yeah, I think it's. Like I heard, I was listening to Nick's podcast today with the owner from Coast. And uh, like he was talking about, you know, Tiger Woods could probably get through around a round of golf with, you know, a couple of sticks of wood, but he does better with his clubs. Like it definitely did the job, but like tearing it apart and clean up the repetition of that, some of the parts wore out and then uh, kind of got frustrated. Always buying replacement nozzles for him wearing out. So I ended up just jumping into the Eclipse. So dang dude. Ran ran that for a long time. And then uh actually some conversations with Luke from Lowbrow drew my attention to checking my my shop and uh found out that I mean it should have been really obvious, but just not knowing what you're doing and just trying to do my humidity was through the roof. Mm so i mean now night and day difference if you walk in that shop now like that dehumidifier is running to keep it at a select humidity air purifiers Mm -hmm. you you name it it's it's all going now so it's come come a long way regulators separators compressors you know people don't realize that depending on the strength of your compressor you've got the fall off of when you engage your air for your airbrush. So it needs to be strong enough to account for the fall off or else you could be set at a certain PSI. And then the fall off of the pressure running through your airbrush, you could actually be like 10 to 15 pounds less than you thought you were.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Damn, dude, I guess people, people don't realize what it goes into to kind of set up a very, um, effective shop as far as like so your paint's not falling off the bait after three casts or so your resin doesn't have a bunch of uh you know a bunch of moisture in it or what have you what not
1: yeah i mean stuff goes bad too you know that's depending on the volume you know your container micro balloons over too long a time can absorb moisture and becomes less effective like there's lots of stuff that can happen
0: yeah dude it's uh it's a process and like 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 we said people people undermine it they don't think about all this stuff that you guys have to, all the hoops that you have to jump through to make sure that your stuff comes out as like good as it can and as precise as it is every time
2: yeah
1: it's it's a lot for sure
0: oh man it's it's interesting but so this was a question i was going to ask before i asked about the painting um just scrolling through your page dude you've got some just absolute awesome artwork. Did so the, the one that first caught my eye because it was up towards the top was the duck sauce one. That sticker is so sick. That's a, that's a super badass design.
1: Yeah. So I've been, I mean, hell, like you said, time slips by. I don't even know how many years we've been doing it now. But uh, Brandon, or you know, he's on the universe and he's on some different nope. stuff, but under yep. Topwater Boys on Instagram and stuff like that, uh, tattoo artist you know, in real life, not internet world. But, uh, and he and I started, he, I probably drive him crazy cause I'll message him like some oddball topic and <laughs> we'll kind of chop it up together and he'll send me a starting point and I'll throw some more nonsense at him and he changes it up and we end up getting these landing on these sticker collaborations together. And I guess he just did one, uh, I haven't even gotten a chance to get it into a sticker yet. I think it's just last week, the Bass on Duck crime sticker. Like, dude, that started. I sent him like a picture I found on the internet of a police officer arresting somebody. And I'm like, dude, what do you think about this? And he just makes it happen. That's awesome. The other one that really caught my
0: eye is the the black duck with like it looks like a sleeping bag roll mm-hmm. on its back. That's a super sick logo too. I'm just I'm just looking at it. It was like something you'd posted over a video, like a little thumbnail. I didn't actually see the so, design, but that's a really cool logo or really cool design. I like that a lot.
1: So that was for um I don't even know what year it was now, but we did a, a road duck tour. Mm. And so I made a solid black duck and man, I can, I can find it somewhere, but I don't remember that thing went like, uh, month to month went state to state around. Um, Jose had it for a minute. Johnny Ellis had it. Um, I think Wayne took it to Mexico and everybody that had it carved their initials on it.
2: Oh,
0: that's cool.
1: And so I've got it back and I've got it in my office and, uh, yeah I mean, it went to california it it went all over, but that was Brandon did that sticker art for that road duck, kind of like you know, little traveling gypsy duck with the backpack and the sleeping bag roll
0: that's that's super cool. Um, I think you should redo it, and I think you should call it like the the migratory trip and start it in the spring when all like the geese and stuff start to migrate mm-hmm. back north and then get it back in the fall and just you you hold on to it. but like, do something special to it, like where people I'm trying to think of like a like how ducks get banded. Like mm-hmm. trying to think of something cool like that, because that would be I think that'd be super badass.
1: I need I need to I've been kicking around the idea, like Brandon and I have done so many stickers, like you go all the way back, like he did uh, join the triple or the uh, three piece crappie. It was like one of the first stickers he did for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we did a wake mouse sticker. We did the duck sauce sticker. We did, uh, it was called the juice. It was like in the shape of like a sunny D bottle, but inside the bottle was like all my baits. Um, yeah, I saw that one. It's done. Like you said, the, the road duck one, the duck sauce one, I need to like do a run and like bring all those back. Cause different people have different ones along the way.
0: I've got a really good idea in my head that I'll I'll tell you after this that I was very surprised I didn't see on your page that just stuck. Like I, we had started talking and we started talking about the duck and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wonder if he's ever thought about doing something like this. (laughs) Uh Cool. But, uh, trying to think I off the top of my head, I can't think of anything else that I had to talk about. Is there anything else that you had prepared for that we, uh, we didn't touch on today, tonight? No,
1: man. I, I think we hit it all and just, uh like i said i've been even though like we talked about force feeding the duck like i i do feel very fortunate and thank everybody for all the support they send send my way for i still it still trips me out like to be scrolling and i'll like go back and it'll be one of my baits (laughs) you know it's like it still trips me out to see it sometimes
0: yeah and where where are guys able to find uh find your baits and find you on instagram and stuff what's the shops or what's the site for the shop if if guys want to go pick up a duck or something whatever you have in stock
1: ruggedthumbs.com man no space all the links are on social media Rugged Thumbs, instagram facebook i mean technically tiktok but don't really haven't posted much on tiktok in a long time that was a when everybody jumped to TikTok, trying to grab the cheap engagement and the yeah. cheap attention, we did a few things on there, but it's not really, you're not going to find me dancing on TikTok.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Um, yeah. As always, I will put all of Corey's stuff in the description, in the show notes. So you guys can go follow him and check out his site and everything. Follow him on Instagram. If you guys don't already, as always, if you guys don't follow the podcast on Instagram, make sure you do that. Scales and tails underscore pod. Um when you guys are hearing this the magazines will be all uh the pre-order will be wrapped up, so those will be gets oh, wait. No, you guys will be hearing this. Yeah, you know, never mind. I'm screwed up on the dates. Um da 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 da. Yeah, if there's any monthly stickers left, make sure you guys go snag one of those with uh Mr. Jake Cooper from Cooper Bates, the uh the Super 8's Cooper Bates uh, casino sticker, super cool design. Um, make sure if you guys haven't already to, uh, to rate the podcast on your listening platform, uh, if you guys haven't, that means a lot to me. It's always cool to see, you know, 85 people that rated it on Spotify or well, however many. And I think, I think that's about everything I have to say. So as always, I want to thank Corey for coming on. It was super cool to talk to him. And, uh, I, I hope that, that you guys, um, go check him out and see his stuff. You know, like you said, he, he, he's had to take some breaks here and there, but, He's back, and I think, um, dude, I won't lie, I'm excited to see the mother ducker. I want to see this thing in person. I want to see some fish caught on it, because when you said it's about the size of a paper towel roll, I was not expecting that. <laughs> should uh, should be pretty, pretty sweet, I think. So, like I said, I want to thank Corey for coming on. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys.